Greetings, PVIC. Welcome to the Post Church Podcast, a time where we reflect on the Sunday sermon and answer some practical questions. My name is Neil, and as usual, I'm here with Pastor Sean and Pastor Billy. We're in the third week of the sermon series within the sermon series that is the Lord's Prayer. For the last two weeks, we learned about the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven and Hallowed Be Your Name. This week, Pastor Sean preached on the line, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Pastor Sean, why don't you start off by giving us a short summary of the sermon? Thanks, Neil. Today we went over verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done. But we we started off by reiterating a lot of what Pastor Billy had shared over the past weeks, how the Lord's Prayer is really a framework for prayer. Um, And so we build off of that framework when we pray. And today in verse 10, we looked at the kingdom and we looked at the will. Now when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about something that is not yet in the sense of uh, the consummation of the kingdom. And at the same time, we're talking about something that is now when Jesus said the kingdom is in your midst, the inauguration of the kingdom, as it were. Um, Then we went on to speak about the will of God and how um, submitting to the will of God is obeying God. And ultimately, we drew the parallel to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was faced with um, agony and anguish. And even in that moment, at the point of shedding blood, Christ was able to say, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. And Pastor Sean, just wanted to thank you um, for your message this week because I think it was, for us as a church plant, very encouraging because you opened it up um, with sort of a discussion of how um, prayer was at the bedrock of the the first century church, right? How the mm-hmm. prayer um, was one of those three pillars, if you will, that they committed themselves to the early church, right? It was the word of God, community, and prayer. Um, uh, But then you also kind of touched on the fact that um, when it comes to kind of measuring church health or uh, church progress or church success, that it's not, shouldn't necessarily be numbers driven or growth driven in that sense mm-hmm. um that that should not necessarily be the focus and, and you, you gave the reasons why and they all they all made sense and they were all biblically grounded and they were great but then if you're thinking about what makes a healthy church what do we look at what are the factors what are those things that we can point to and say hey this this is a healthy church That's actually a really good question. I know that when we were discussing planting a church about a year ago, um, I read all these articles about what people look for in a church. And I remember the top two things that people looked for when when, uh, trying to find a church. It was parking, and it was, do you know? I don't. Coffee? Kids program. Right, any any sort of like a kids' activity type of a thing. Check and check. We're good on that. Check and check. We have those <laughs> things. We have fantastic parking. Yeah. But when we're thinking about 
what makes up a healthy church, I, I refer back to Acts 2.42. And I think in this day and age, we get so caught up in numbers and growth and fast growth, which is uh, potentially dangerous. Um, but the signs of a healthy church aren't parking lots and aren't kids programs. Um, sometimes we place too much emphasis on um, just the community part of it and just hanging out and having a good time. But a healthy church should have a hunger for the Word of God. And a healthy church should want to learn and study the Word of God and grow from that. A healthy church should, of course, be in community with each other, caring for each other selflessly, as Acts 2 says. And a healthy church should pray. So that's what I would say would be the marks of a healthy church. Yeah, so we're really going back to that model that was kind of laid out in, in the first century. Yeah, right. the origins of the church. Sure. Okay, so next let's, let's consider um, wants and desires. So when you talk about praying that God's will be done, you mentioned the fact that um, that pronouns matter in the prayer, right? right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was just kind of a great point that you're making. Not pronouns mattering in the sense of all the craziness that's going on in the world right now, but the fact that the language in the prayer um, forces us to talk about your kingdom, God, your will, right? Um, to kind of move us away from focusing in on self and our own glorification. But if that's the case, where do our wants and desires come in? Should, should we have wants and desires? Do they matter? Um, to what extent, if they do matter, to what extent do they matter? And when it comes to uh, God's will being done, do our wants and desires need to be shaped in some kind of way? And, and how does that happen? What does that look like? Right. That's actually a really good question. When we're thinking about our wants and desires, when I was speaking about this issue with the pronouns and looking out at the culture and this kind of um, goofy use of pronouns that we're kind of all seeing, it was really speaking to a larger problem. So when we dig deep down into the roots, as I was saying, of that issue, we find that ultimately it's just kind of an insatiable um, desire to point to self. Um, we tend to make things all about ourselves. So you're speaking about wants and desires. Um, there is nothing wrong with having wants and desires, but how do they line up with what the scripture tells us? How do they line up with um, what the word says, what Christ has said? So there's nothing wrong with loving someone, but the scripture can dictate how that love should be manifest. So um, to love your significant other is a wonderfully normal thing. But when we look, for example, in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, we get an idea of how that love should look like practically. Right, and how about, how about our emotions, right? Because I think that kind of plays into it as well right i think our we can, it's hard to disconnect our wants and desires from our emotions mm -hmm. um so maybe talk about that too like do our emotions factor in here i guess it's the same thing right they need to be shaped and funneled into god's will as well right 
Right. And I think sometimes we leave out the power of the Holy Spirit, right? First um, Corinthians 6.20 says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we are shaped. So the emotions that we have will be shaped as well. We aren't to be doing things that the Word says begrudgingly, we're to do them with joy. And we see in Matthew 6, 10, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the thing that I always remind myself, I ask myself is, how many wills are in heaven? Right. Or how is it being done in heaven? Right. Right. There's only one will in heaven. Right. There are no other wills in heaven. There's only one. And if you look at Isaiah 6 and you see the angelic hosts you're not seeing a bunch of begrudging angelic right. hosts. Like, oh, got to glorify God. Yeah, right? it's, exactly. It's joyfully and... Um, right, it's joyfully. Freely. Freely. Um, there's, there's an exuberance. There's a happiness. Um, and, yeah, I would say that's how our emotions and our wills are shaped. Okay. And then, finally, um, that prayer that your will be done... Um, you've linked the specific will that's being mentioned there. You made a distinction between God's sovereign will and his um, preceptive will. Right. And as I understand um, what you're saying there about God's preceptive will, that's, that's linking into um, God's law, right? You talked about God's law a little bit, but it's really talking about obedience, I think. At the end of the day. At the end right. of the day, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about God's preceptive will. You're talking about uh, obedience. So in that sense, if we're really talking about obedience, when we're praying, your will be done, um, should we be very thoughtful and intentional? And I don't know if the right word is cautious about when we pray that, but um, if we are to pray that and we're talking about obedience, that w- wouldn't that have some real serious implications on our life if we're praying that to God? Like, isn't that kind of a scary prayer to pray? Is it? Do you, do you kind of agree that uh, yeah. around that? Yeah, yeah I, w- I would agree that it is. It can be potentially scary. And I know from personal experience, I'm sure maybe you can agree with me, Neil, as well, um, is that when you pray something like that, if you're thoughtful about it, um, it can be a little scary. It's like pray- praying for patience, right? Right, exactly. Praying for patience. You don't exactly know how that will... Uh, play out um, exactly. But I, I know that when we were reading Matthew 6, um, we see when Jesus refers to the hypocrites and the Gentiles, he's admonishing them because their prayers are, in a sense, thoughtless. Um, they're just repetitious. They're babbling. There's really nothing to them. So I think it's very, very important, in fact, to not get into the habit of just reciting these um, formulaic prayers that we do. I know I've, I've said this before with my kids, with Christian and Lucas. Um, when they pray, it's just help this person, help this person, help this person, help this person. It's a very re- repetitious par- prayer. And I try to speak to them and talk to them about being more intentional and thoughtful about their prayer. That being said, when we pray thoughtfully, your will be done, there's a lot of weight with something like that. And when we say it, we have to be thoughtful about it and understand that um, God's will 
and our flesh, um, they come in conflict. They come in conflict for sure. So it is potentially scary, and, and in a sense, it should be. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Um, to go into this week, what are some questions that we can think about? Right, so when we're thinking about our questions for this week, um, our takeaway questions are the following. Um, first, we discussed how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and it's growing and growing and growing. Um, we talked about how there were 120 followers of Christ before he ascended, and now we're in the billions. What have we done personally in regards to kingdom growth? What role do we play? Um, sometimes we leave that responsibility to the pastors. We leave that responsibility to those in the church who are known as evangelists. But what can we do this week to spread the gospel? To share the faith? That's the first question. The second question ties to the will and submitting to the will. What areas of our lives do we struggle with submitting to God's will? Let's take a moment to examine ourselves, examine the areas in which we struggle to submit to his will, and start to think about why that is. And if that is so, what steps are we taking to address that? Or are we just keeping that on the table and doing nothing about it? Are we reaching out to the pastors? Are we reaching out to an older brother or an older sister to try to help us through those things? What are we doing about that? And finally, the last one isn't really a question, but a challenge. This week, when we get our family worship guide that's going to be sent out, each day to sing through those songs, to think about the questions, and to pray the Lord's Prayer. That would be it for this week. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Um, so as we close, there is, uh, let us think about one of the verses that uh, Pastor Sean talked about, Acts 2, verses 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. So we look forward to tackling those questions this week. And until next Sunday, let us strive to live all of life to the glory of God. Mm -hmm.